Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Happy Friday, everyone. I hope it's going to be a well, you know, a decent weather. Can't really say like a great weather Friday for you. We're in we're in January. Although I will say this, as somebody who works outside, I prefer this weather. I know you think I'm crazy, but I prefer this weather over the hundred degree nonsense. Um, me too. Give me this, you know, give me this zero degree weather. I can put on, you know, some some coveralls and some, you know, heavy coats and some more fleece layers. Earlier before this call, uh, Hunter and I were talking how hunters have. We, we usually have the best cold weather gear there is because, you know, oh, yeah. we live in it when we're out. You know, if you do any kind of Western hunting, you got everything from premium base layers all the way up to these puffy, you know, outer layer pants that you kind of walk around like the Michelin tire man in. Uh, but we're set for it, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, so anyways, I hope your Friday's a decent weather day, meaning you're not slipping on any black ice or going into going into any snow drifts or you know what the most annoying one is is uh when you bump into like a really rock solid frozen uh like snow plow pile and mm-hmm. it's just like they're just so rock hard that it it's like enough resistance to damage your vehicle a little bit i have this little divot in the corner of well it's actually a big divot in the corner of my rear bumper on my truck. And it's like, I just backed up and I just barely backed into the snow pile and it just pushed it right in. And it's in a way like you, you ain't getting, I don't know, man, I live in the South, so I can't really commiserate too much. Cause like we got about two inches of snow outside right now. And it's like, (laughs) a lot yeah <laughs> like we don't we don't deal with these kind of issues very the system often. is down <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no it's uh it's been pretty wild here i'll have some uh footage that i'm gonna try and get up on instagram later just of the crazy drifts we got a couple uh six footers i think in the yard and and uh we have a ditch in between our our yard and the road that's about five feet deep and it's level with the rest of the yard. It's just, it's just it's probably snowed six feet here in the last like seven years combined or something. <laughs> hey, so. that's not that's not a bad problem at all. But yeah. I'm thankful for the precipitation though. We need some moisture getting back into the soil and get a, get the ground ready for spring. But you know, we're gonna kick this one off hot. Um, I recently found out how recently, just a few minutes ago, when we recorded a pick and bones <laughs> episode, which uh, I think is probably going to uh air after this one actually i think i'm gonna have another pick and bones before this episode came out but but um i'm talking in the future while you're listening about it in the past right now which is strange but um uh we're gonna come in hot though about this story about a columbia blacktail and man do i wish i had known um about this i don't know how i didn't know i've been following you for a long time must have missed that podcast or something but but um a friend of mine was just he asked me this off scene he's like hey do you know anybody who um uh has experience hunting columbia blacktail i gotta you know i'm gonna be out there for work this year and um i just like to you know some insight and i only knew one person that maybe had experience and i reached out to them and 
they kind of were like, yeah. Then they kind of went on ghost mode because I think they're like when I, because he asked what units did I need him for or need information on. And as soon as I told him, he like, uh, I didn't hear from him again. So <laughs> I wish I had I wish I had known that about you, man, because uh not only did you go, but you had some success. Oh yeah. The so how'd you say it's not the largest Okay, it's the yeah, I've looked. People can fact check me, but I'm pretty dang sure you can go, go to my Instagram at the Hunters Quest, there's a reel or my YouTube channel. I have a short. The full film isn't out yet, obviously, but you can see the kill shot sequence. It's the largest Columbia black tail ever killed on camera. Wow, that is awesome, man! That there's is so a couple. Wild. There's a couple other guys this year who killed bigger ones, um, and like almost a couple of them like almost got it on camera, but like not quite. Like this is like you know like full in frame, like perfectly captured, 140 inch. Not official score yet. That's just my. T- I taped him at 140 sure. inch, which 125 is the minimum entry for Boone and Crockett. 135 is all time, so he could be. I think that's net though, net 140. I think he's closer to like 127 gross. Um, but anyway, or other other way around, right? So gross 140, yeah, right. net 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 126. Exactly. That's still yeah. an impressive animal. Did, yeah, and I'm it, pretty sure it's the biggest one ever killed on camera. Man, so that one. Um, and the other cool thing was it was that was the last deer species I need to complete my North American deer slam. Mm-hmm. And um, I love hunting elk and caribou and everything else, but something about deer, man. I'm kind of a deer guy, I gotta say. There's something yeah. like mystical about deer, especially big deer. And um, to be able to hunt them all over the continent, all the way from Kodiak, Alaska to the Sonoran Desert in Mexico and like everywhere in between, uh, super cool. And then to cap it off, uh, you know, 100% over the counter. You know, I bought my tag, no draw, nothing, public land. Um, and I had help. I'm not saying mm-hmm. I did it myself. I had a um, <clears throat> my videographer, Luke Dusenberry, who filmed it. He's from out there. His cousin was hunting with us, Josh. Mm. Shout out to him because Josh, Josh showed us the spot where we found this buck. And um, he was with us that day. Um, but amazing hunt. And uh, to cap off my deer slam with my biggest buck ever, my first, like, record book you know animal is uh which not official yet i gotta get them i gotta That's wait right. for the green green period and then get it scored but um should be in the book for sure uh really cool way to to cap off my deer slam there and um blacktail are amazing they're beautiful the country they live in i was out in oregon beautiful i mean uh one of the most enjoyable hunts i've done in a long time hmm. really fun yeah, well, that's a good. So that leads me to another question. First of all, just congratulations on an, on an incredible animal. Thank I can't, you. I can't wait to see the film, man. That's going to be awesome. Uh, yeah. B- but so, where all can you hunt Columbia blacktail? Is it just in Oregon, or is there a little bit of? of I think there's some. Isn't there a bit of a population in Washington as well? Yeah. So I'm not an expert here. So take this with a grain of salt because it's it's a kind of it's kind of interesting and it's kind of weird because it's not like all right you leave this county and they're mule deer and you come mm-hmm. to this county and there's like there's like middle ground where there's hybrids there's a there's what they call bench leg which are basically a columbia blacktail mixed with a mule deer mm. that are a little bit further in towards the east of the state 
But um, I believe when you're in Oregon, if you're west of I-5 is where they kind of draw the line, um, is Columbia Blacktail. And then east is like bench legs or mule deer. Hmm. Now, of course, there's going to be some variation in there. Um, but there is uh, Columbia Blacktail in Northern California and hmm. Washington as well. Um, so again, I'm not like the expert on this one. In fact, I've been wanting to do a podcast with like a blacktail expert and like mm-hmm. really break it down because it's fascinating to me. But um, the only uh, deer subspecies that are recognized by Boone and Crockett are coos deer, whitetail, mule deer, Columbia blacktail, and Sitka blacktail. Mm. Bench legs are not recognized. Nothing else is recognized. Um, so this one is, and I when I posted it, people were like, "Oh, that's a bench leg because he's so big." But yeah. uh, we were like 50 miles from the dividing line in the blacktail side. So yeah. um, he's 100% blacktail. Um, and uh, again, just beautiful deer. I don't know. There's just something about him. Um, that's, well, that, know. you know, that's a good, like, indirect. Like, they were trying to criticize you, but they actually, like, you know, made oh, you yeah. look They were made, totally trying to criticize Made you. you look good. There's no, that deer, that buck is so big. There's just yeah. no way it could be. Yeah, like, nice no, bench leg, bro. I'm like, <laughs> no, he was not a bench leg. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that's awesome. Now, I, I guess, I mean, I assume it's mostly spot and stock out there. But I recently learned too that Oregon is such a diverse state as far as different habitat types. You know, I've, I've mm-hmm. mainly only pictured it like, uh, <clears throat> you know, the Pacific Northwest rainforest. Yeah. But there's actually some, you know, prairie in Oregon. Um, I imagine there's a lot of kind of transitional, you know, upland, uh, you know, timber riparian areas, kind of almost like a, I don't know, maybe like a North Dakota type, type of landscape river bottom, but it's a beautiful state, man. Like it literally is one of the most beautiful states I've hunted. And yeah, like you said, it's very diverse. I think it's kind of a sleeper state, like, Mm. you know, like Wyoming, Montana, um, I don't know. Maybe Idaho, Idaho yeah. kind of gets a lot of the the stuff, but um, maybe it's just because it's a little bit extra growl. I don't know, but um, super cool, man. Um, so you get everything from like really thick old growth, like conifer forests. Sure. Um, we were in some areas that even had some sagebrush. Um, and uh, there's also this. Whenever I think of like Northern California type hunting land. Um, I think of, and then we saw some of this, like kind of the rolling hills with like the golden grass and like the sparse kind of patchy, like live oak trees or like, mm-hmm. oak, you know, smaller oak trees, like scrubby oak trees and buck brush. Yeah. Uh, we had some of that, which is just gorgeous. Like, it, I don't know. It's almost like, it looks like Serengeti or something. Just, yeah. That's awesome. It's amazing. Um, so we got all that, man. We, we saw kind of everything. Um, the spot where we shot our bucks was um clear cuts like a lot of logging clear cuts where okay. it's like thick timber yep. and then it'll be clear cut and like some of the thickest nastiest steep like where my buck died you couldn't even stand like it, we the pictures look kind of goofy because like we, we literally couldn't get him to like sit there that like rolling down it was so thick and poison oak and oh, it'll be man. like it'll be like a spider web of deadfall on t- with like grass like on top of it oh, so like man. 
he doesn't look that bad and you get over it and you just like your like feet just like sinks and like stick oh. and it's just it's so bad man but um it's probably anyway, slippery it, as anything too very slippery um i shot that buck in like the driving rain tony go to my instagram if you're listening to this at the hunter's quest like just scroll down you'll find it um there's a there's a reel of the kill shot sequence and uh that's awesome man cool. yeah yeah, so so you're hunting clear cuts. I imagine you relied a lot on your mapping for that, trying to look at those aerials, figure out um, where those cuts would be, and then from there was it kind of like I mean, obviously you got to play the wind, you know, be a good hunter. Yeah. That uh, imagine looking for some sign as well, um, but yeah, to be honest with you, man, um, I was relying a lot on my hunting partners because sure <laughs> um, this was. This was almost all my are like, you know, DIY public land hunts. And I'm showing up having to have done a lot of e-scouting and kind of figuring it out on my own. This one, I knew I was going with my buddy, Luke, who grew Mm -hmm. up out there. And I was kind of like, Luke, like, because he invited me to come out there and he kind of pitched me on the hunt. And uh, I was like, man, you're from out there. You know what's up? Um, I'm going to let you kind of, you know, I'm pretty much going to do what you say, man. like yeah so i didn't really do a whole lot of like e-scouting and stuff like that to begin with like it was kind of like luke was showing me what's up and then his cousin helped us and so i wasn't just completely like doing nothing but i was relying on those guys quite a bit and like i said it was my buddy josh's spot that we went into but yeah once we got there then it's just a matter of of glassing and Mm. those deer are insanely hard to glass up they uh i mean all deer are but it's just so thick in there and um, I feel like they might be a little even harder to see than like mule deer. Cause they don't have that big white butt. Yeah. And, um, and they can just blend in, man. So we blast this thing from about 1500 yards across the Canyon. And then me and Luke literally started running this logging road down the Ridge. And then we dropped down like kind of opposite wow. cross came from where he was dropped down like 800 feet. And Luke was saying, we got to go all the way down to the bottom of the ravine and like climb up one of these other finger ridges and try to shoot across. But something in my gut was like, nah, we need to just like keep our elevation and go to the like wrap around to the edge of this finger and see if it opens up to get a cross canyon shot. And so I saw a little bit of a clearing and we did that and we were able to locate him. He was like five sixty. Oh which man, that's a poke. It is. And I don't normally shoot that far. And um I practice to about six, mm-hmm. but I well, good. You like know. to keep it like to four on animals usually. Yeah. But this animal, he was just, I just didn't. And it's funny in the footage, you can hear Luke the whole time, like trying to talk me out of it. And like, let's, let's get closer, man. Like we, we can get over there. I just didn't feel he was with a hot doe. He could have disappeared at any minute. I just didn't feel like, I just didn't feel confident we'd be able to relocate him. And so, and I'm sitting on a slope about like this. I get my backpack in front of me. I'm like messing with my trekking poles in my pack to try to like get a rest. <laughs> Somehow I got a rest that was like decent enough. I had another pack under my back arm and, um, and, uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history, but, uh, it was like, I think 557 yard shot, wow. um, in driving rain and some wind. So, uh, like I said, um, he, he took one shot he was heavily quartered away and he absorbed it. You can see the footage. And there's another, I got a bunch of trolls like, you know, 
giving me grief about the shot, but the angle he was standing was actually a pretty dang good shot. And then he, you can see in the footage, he starts walking uphill. I hit him again right behind the shoulder. I mean, like perfect placement. You can go watch the footage. Mm-hmm. He just he flinches and just like keeps going. Like I've never seen a deer Man. absorb. I'm shooting a 300 Win Mag too. Wow. And so anyway, looking back, the ammo I was shooting wasn't getting the expansion that I need past about 100, yeah. which I wasn't aware of, so something to learn from but anyway the third shot hit him kind of like in the neck and he and he dropped but um anyway man it was uh it was wild and uh yeah i wish i had like i said i wish he had dropped dead in the first shot that's just not how hunting always goes um well well, but we hung in there and we got it done you you know something to put in there too you had it wasn't like your other two shots came after blood trailing for four hours and you know you busted him out of a bloody bed and he you know, he had four hours of suffering from yeah. what the sounds of it. And as thick as that country is, I'm sure he could disappear pretty quickly out of yeah. sight, especially at that distance. Sounds oh, like yeah. those, Dude, he those shots, died. those sounds like those shots were pretty close in succession. Yeah. So, I mean, he to me, he would have died. And like, if I just let him go, but if you hunted out West, hunted this type of country, like you want to get the animal yes. down in sight. Yep. Like, I don't want to like, it's not like, especially in the rain. Yeah. Like I, I didn't want to take a chance of him, you know, going a couple hundred yards. Cause you might, I mean, you might never find him if you lose yeah. sight. So I just, just I'm going to keep shooting till this thing goes down. And so yeah. that's what I did. And it worked out. Yeah. I, you know, I'd heard that when I went on my, so I hunted in Northwest Montana, I did a spot and stock black bear hunt back in spring of 22. Mm-hmm. And I'd heard kind of the same thing, you know, it's like, oh, bears don't bleed much. And, and yeah. I, you know, like I thought, like, it's not like I was totally dismissive of that, but I didn't, I just did not understand. So when I shot, I, I can only assume I missed. Um, but, uh, when we went looking for blood, it was so thick and so, you know, it's very, you know, that part of Montana is very much like a rainforest, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's super green, you know, it's like this thing could be anywhere, you know, we went to could be exact, 10 feet from it and not see it. Yeah. Right. And it's like, you know, you could, so man, I think those other shots, first of all, good on you for being able to get them off. And second, it's like, well, yeah, like you said, okay, if if uh, I just shot him once and let him, you know, die after 45 seconds on his own, I'd be a hero to everybody on this reel. But because I went ahead and, and made sure to get him down so I could get a recovery and he died, you know, probably in the same amount of time, but with just two more shots being fired, you know, yeah. come on. You know, that's yeah. that to me is the same thing as a – And people always want to hate and say, oh, you just – you know, took that shot for the camera and oh, all the meats ruined. And I got every, you go look at the comments section. You got everything yeah. on there. You can tell most of the people that are making those comments have no idea what actually a hunt like that entails and oh, what it actually yeah. takes. Yep. Um, so I take it with a grain of salt. Um, but I will say this, I don't do, okay, of course I want to go out there and make a cool film, mm-hmm. but like, I don't do things for the camera. Right. I would have made that same call if I was just hunting no camera just for myself. Yep. Like that doesn't add any extra pressure for me. 
I already want to be successful. Like when I get out there, I want to kill. Like yep. I'm, and some people are shy about saying it. And I wish we'd actually talked about this in that um, pick and bones. Thing. Well, there we go. It's our topic for the future, man. Yeah. Well, I just say real quick is like, I, I see a lot of hunting industry folks and I get it because they want to appeal to non-hunters and stuff. I understand why they do it, but like there's this like trend towards like pandering to the non-hunters to the yeah. point where they like there's they're not showing kill shots anymore They're sanitizing like, on, on, it on purpose yeah mm-hmm. and and like i got i did a podcast with robbie kroger from uh what's it called um blood origins yeah yep he was like and he was saying like you know hunters don't i think he says something like true hunters like don't enjoy killing and i was like hold on i'm sorry i do enjoy it mm-hmm. now like hunting is more than about the kill for sure 100 mm-hmm. but if you don't enjoy that part of it then just go hiking or something yeah. or go like take up <laughs> wildlife photography yeah like there okay i'm sorry but like there's i'm going out there to kill the animal and i'm not going to be shy to say i enjoy doing yeah that. It's so, the it's the anyway. completion. It's a it's the completion of the objective. You know, it's like yeah. there's excitement that that comes with that. And I yeah. think you know to be a good predator, you know the the wolf isn't. <laughs> you know when he's, he's not ha- crying when right. he kills the deer. Right. Like he's and you know and and some people might feel that little bit of remorse or whatever. Yeah, I think and that's, that's totally normal. Yeah, it's fine if you do. I'm not knocking that either. It's just me personally. I don't, and so when I get in that mode when I'm hunting, I I go into kill mode, man. Like I want to make it happen, and so yeah. I'm not doing it because there's a camera watching me. I felt like that was my best opportunity to kill that deer, and maybe the only one. And I'm gonna do everything I can to get that deer down, and I did. Yeah, so. yeah. I think it's I think it's a good point you make, and and again, you know, everything's so nuanced. Everything changes. Everything, and I I'm I have thought about this exact thing because. And maybe it's because I've been hunting longer now, but but when I first hunted, in fact, the the third episode of this podcast, and this is going to be episode two hundred six, something like that. Oh, nice, Congrats. the thank you the 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 third episode of this podcast. I think we called it the um, Hunter's Dilemma, uh, which is that aspect of man, I I achieved my goal. This is awesome, but I also you know like this thing died, and. Mm-hmm. And I used to feel that a lot on everything I I, I killed, and um, so maybe there's been some like, whether for better or worse, maybe some desensitizing that's happened to me from hunting for more years. I mean, this is just me being honest, people. I, you might you might not like what I'm saying right now, but but um that like that's part of it. But also, I noticed when uh when uh my friend Caleb and I we did our Nebraska hunt this year. And, um, oh good. Someone just drove through the uh, road in front of my house right now. That means it's passable. You're free. But, yeah, that's right. But, uh, when we, when we filled our tags in Nebraska this year, it, it was, um, how do I say it? Like the, the difficulty level of getting to that point was, was a lot higher than our normal hunts, you know, that we do mm-hmm. for, you know, out of pre-hung tree stands and out of, you know, on farms that we've hunted a million times, we've shed hunted, we've scouted, we've, we've done everything on, you know, like 
there was less room for those types of emotions, I think, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, so like you're just glad that it worked out, you know, and the yeah. same thing was true when, uh, my, another friend of mine, uh, John Rasty, when we went out to, uh, Montana and he tagged a bear, you know, it was our first ever bear hunt. It was our first Western hunt and the amount of work that went into getting that bear it just was pure euphoria by the time. And it wasn't a super clean kill either. You know, it yeah. required some follow-up shots. But it's like that changes, and you're just glad to have that objective, you know, reached. And and uh, you know what, too, going back to your blacktail story, if uh, if any of those trolls had been in your shoes, they either would have taken those additional shots for the reasons you did or – they wouldn't have, and they'd really look dumb when they couldn't find their deer yeah. and not even know if it was dead or not, you know? Yeah. and Yeah, for sure. I mean, not everything is a 100-yard, you know, shot with a perfect rest in a tree stand over a feeder or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, right, exactly. Yep. Nothing wrong. I'm not hating on that either. I'm just saying, like, it's hunting, man. Like, stuff happens. Life happens. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, and it's, you know, stuff goes down and, I like I said, I could have edited all those out and yep. just put the last shot and made myself look awesome, but I yep. didn't. I showed what happened, and you know. yep, I appreciate you doing that, and that's and hunting. I think I think that's better for hunting in the long run too, especially when you consider people who aren't hunters and or first gen hunters that want to get into it. They're seeing a real representation of what they're getting into instead of yep. something that might not necessarily be be an accurate representation so yeah Yeah. good on you man i think you did the right thing and i'm excited to see the full length that when it comes out so that'd be a good good time to transition to that uh see first of all your trophy shelf there behind you has grown uh there's there's some new animals i'm still waiting on i'm still waiting on my elk and my caribou and that blacktail euro yeah those bad boys but this is my deer slam up here yeah my blacktail's not there yet but that's my sitka blacktail Whitetail, coos deer, mule deer. Just gotta, just gotta get my black tail, and then I'll be. Yeah, man. It was awesome. a great season, man. And so, I mean, Hunter's Quest has been growing. You've gotten the TV element going, and and uh, uh, you've done a lot of work with uh, Brian Call over the last few years, and and um, uh, some of the other guys that uh, you've you mentioned some that you've done some hunting with. I mean, what what all's been going on with uh, your channel? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure where I was when we last spoke, but um, so yeah, season one of the TV show just finished up on Sportsman Channel. Um, so Congrats, I don't know man. if any of your that's listeners, a, that's huge. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was a lot of work. I mean, the amount of work that goes into producing a television show compared to just kind of dropping stuff on YouTube is mm-hmm. exponential. Mm-hmm. And so I had my hands very full because I produced the entire show by myself. Wow. Uh, you see. Pretty much every other show, if you go to Sports and watch a show, the end credits will have anywhere from like five to like 35 people on it. Yeah. Mine's me and a videographer. And so, and usually I'm also a videographer on the hunts as well. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just trying to say I put an incredible amount of work into yeah. it. So, um, so if people have the sportsman show channel out there, they're listening. I hope they'll check out the show. You can watch the whole season now on the My Outdoors TV app. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, most of the hunts are on YouTube now anyway. Um, sure. but, uh, yeah, so season one just ended. I've got, uh, season two 
90% done and in the can, which will start airing again in July of 2024. Awesome, so the show runs Q3 and Q4. Um, but right now I'm still pumping out lots of short form stuff. And so short form stuff from this season on social media. And then also um, putting out my episodes from season one onto YouTube and um like the the mule deer hunt of this buck right here is mm-hmm. in Montana. That one went up on the Onyx Hunt YouTube channel. You can watch that there. Awesome. Um, so anyway, um, lots of good stuff. Um, I'm about to head to a couple trade shows. I've been building my partner's roster. Um, so everything is, you know, it's not like I'm done. It's always work. It's always what's the next you know, the next goal to hit the next peak to hit, but yeah, had an amazing, amazing season. I killed my first elk this year. My first Congrats. caribou. Yeah. It's incredible. First caribou in Alaska, first blacktail. Um, and then I'm going to be doing an Audad hunt here in February. And then I'm hoping to head over my buddy, Pedro Ampuero. If you guys know him, he's a big YouTuber. He's from Spain. He invited me to come over to Spain's in uh, this summer and and hunt chamois and uh, roebuck. So hopefully oh, that'll very work cool. out. But yeah, so that's kind of what I'm up to, man. Um, that's awesome. The Lord blessed me big time on this season. Yeah, how's the how's the family doing with all that? I mean, you're a super busy guy and having to take off for these long hunts. I know I'm kind of springing this one on you, but I'm sure it's okay. something that everybody. It's probably even a criticism that you know when we talk about what do you know what do haters or what do trolls say? It's like, oh yeah, if I neglected my family, I'd be able to you know, like yeah. how's how's the family doing with all that? Yeah, I think you know we just we just had. Um, our third in uh, July. Wow. Um, that's awesome. Boy. Yeah. So it, it's definitely, um, you know, it can be challenging at times. Um, not saying it's not, my wife mm-hmm. doesn't love it when I go on these trips all the time, but I think that I've been able to, um, hit a pretty good balance with it because, um, you know, obviously in the fall I'm hitting, I'm pretty much usually doing like an August trip, a September mm-hmm. trip, October trip, a November trip. And then, you know, finishing up around Thanksgiving and then doing something like January, February, and then mm-hmm. doing something like April, May, June, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. So uh, that's like six trips. It's a lot. Um, but like I said, I, I kind of when I'm home, I, I, I think I think it balances out because let's just say I say this to my wife a lot. Again, I'm not saying it's easy and and yeah, I do miss some stuff in the fall, but Mm -hmm. um, if I were to work, I say this to my wife all the time, like if, and by the way, my wife's awesome. She's been really supportive and um, just a great, yeah, another, on this, but and I also want to add in there another reason to go back and listen to that first interview with uh, Hunter because uh, uh, she stayed she stayed with you through some really hard times in, in yeah. your life before all this and just kind of speaks 100%. to speaks to the quality of her character. But hundred percent, great mom. Like I know when I leave, the kids are in great hands. Like and I have nothing to worry about. Like I trust her more than any other human being on the mm-hmm. planet. So um, that's amazing to have. Um, but so I always say to her is like, you know, if I had a quote unquote normal job, you know, I live on the, in the suburbs of a big city. Um, mm-hmm. If I had a job in this, I'd be leaving at 7am. I'd be getting home at 7pm every single day. I'd be probably wanting to do nothing on the weekends or, you know, really tired or, you know, wanting to do some kind of hobbies or something. I'd still mm-hmm. probably want to go hunting a lot, you know, yeah. 
yep, during yep. all anyway. Um, and so I wouldn't, but in this situation, yeah, I'm gone a lot during kind of, I call it fighting season, but, uh, you know, when I'm home, like this time of year, I take my kid, I wake up, get my kids ready for school and take them to school every morning. I pick them up from school almost every day. If there's a parent teacher conference, I'm there. If there's a program in school, I'm there. I can any time of the day, drop what I'm doing, go like before we're on the, on this call here, I was out having a snowball fight with the kids. Um, so it's like, it balances out. Cause when I'm here, I feel like, yes, I still have to work and yes, I still have a lot to do, mm-hmm. but I can squeeze it in at different times. Maybe I, maybe I wake 5am and edit for like three hours before everybody wakes up or, mm-hmm. and maybe I edit for two hours after they go to bed or something or whatever. But I'm, I feel like I'm able to be very involved in everyone's lives except obviously when I'm traveling and I try right. to be as efficient as I can when I'm traveling, but um, it's not easy, but I think I've been able to hit a pretty good balance. Yeah, that's great. That's great to hear. And I, I knew you'd have a good answer there. You're a thoughtful guy and I know you care a lot about your family and sure. a lot of that comes from, uh, you know, living a faith-based lifestyle where we were, you know, we try to follow what the Bible says and the Bible mm-hmm. says, be a good dad, be a good husband. Absolutely. And so that's the, uh, that's the priority. But, um, you know, along along with that too, a lot of jobs do require travel. You know, there's oh yeah, even, that, even my I forgot to mention yeah. You know, Most even guys my are job three or four weeks out of the out of the year anyway. Oh yeah, even my job as a as a prairie farmer. You know, we we have uh, uh, shows that we go to. You know, and uh, like last year we were up at Pheasant Fest. You know, I was gone for I can't remember how many days, like four days and nights. You know, for yeah for that, you know, and I'm a farmer. So there's, there's most jobs. And when I was a teacher, there were several overnight things, uh, that I had to, you know, be gone for pretty much every single year I taught. And so it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's a normal part of work to, to have to travel for that again. And dude, men like men have been doing this since the beginning of time. Yeah. It's, it's like, and now it's like a part of me. Like I, I started to go a little crazy, honestly, if I'm home for too long. Like, um, it, it's always been like that. I've always had a job where I travel mm-hmm. and like men have been going out to war, going off to hunt, whatever, forever. It's very mm-hmm. normal. Men leave and they come back. Yep. Yep. That is true. There's a lot, there's a lot of truth to that, that, uh, and th- there is some kind of pull to that. And you know what, too, when you, uh, like, there is something to that phrase and I'm not trying to make an excuse here so that all the husbands and dads or, or even, you know, on the other side of it, all the wives and moms who like to hunt too, uh, that we can just take off and it's, you know, whenever we want, but there is something to absence makes the heart grow fonder, you know, like, like, uh, it's, everything is kind of like refreshed when you come back and kids are happy to see you, your spouse is happy to see you. And, uh, you know what, there's, there's, there's some good that comes from that too. And, and same thing too, you know, but I also think too, it's important that we're, we try to be fair, you know, if our spouses want to go and do a trip or, yeah, or something like that, you know, yeah, be supportive of that and step in and, and try and yeah. help. But, but yeah, great to hear that. Now I need to hear about um, the caribou and elk stories because okay. this, as you said, this was your first caribou, right? But definitely, yeah. definitely not your first caribou hunt. Was this your third? Nope. Well, I, it could be considered my third, but not really. So the first one, definitely we were caribou hunting. That was my first trip ever. Mm-hmm. The second time I had a caribou tag, we were in Kodiak. 
and I was hoping to see they have like a small herd there of they're actually technically reindeer, but mm. um, so you could call that, but that was mainly a deer hunt, really. Um, but this one was the th- the third. I'll say it's the third caribou tag I've bought. Mm. Um, but yeah, and the first successful one. Um, so you mean to launch into that one? Yeah, man. Well, I, yeah. What, so tactics, you know, things I had down here on my notes were, um, uh, first, yeah, let's just start with tactics, but I also want to get into gear and then even, um, I think there's, and again, this, you know, can go to our pick and bones episode. There's been enough hunting media coverage now of what it is to be a car- Alaskan caribou hunter, you know, and I think people get this idea of how it goes, but I got to think that there's a lot of stuff that people don't understand about it until they're in it. And so yeah. I kind of want to hit that too, but, but let's start there with the tactics. Like if you say I'm going caribou hunting, first of all, I assume that means spot and stock. Is it going to yeah. be a lot of hiking or are you going to be driving logging roads and doing kind of a, you know, road hunt? Definitely hike? not that. Okay. Yeah. There well. are no roads. <laughs> like back to the future. There are no roads. <laughs> um, no, but, um, uh, okay. So caribou, if you want to hunt caribou, get on the ball now because mm. every year they seem to be restricting it more. Um, and it's getting harder and harder to, find transporters that you can book like some of them might be booking three years out in advance or some of them might not even be taking anybody new they might be only doing like repeat customers so and and that's just the reality of the situation i hate going negative but um and there's the hall road hunt which is you know the dalton highway which comes out of fairbanks you can rent a car in fairbanks drive up that highway and you can bow hunt within five miles of that road on Mm. like i mean you could you could road hunt that you could and a lot of people do um it's it's getting tougher and tougher to do that but you can still go buy a caribou tag rent a vehicle in fairbanks drive the haul road once you hike five miles off the road you can rifle hunt but within five miles of either side of the road you can that but for the most part except for that you're going to need some kind of transporter to get in there. Okay. Um, this is Alaska I'm talking about, and um, it's not a guide required species, so you can hunt. And let me go back and say my first caribou hunt ever was not a haul road hunt, but it was a DIY drive and walk in hunt. So we rented a vehicle, we drove somewhere. I'm not going to say where mm-hmm. because you can find it if you research it, but I'm not going to drop it here. There yeah. are places you can drive and park your vehicle and hike in and hunt caribou. We didn't mm-hmm. kill one, but we saw caribou um mm-hmm. we might have been able to kill one the other thing about caribou is <clears throat> cows have antlers so you have to be very careful it's a big mm-hmm. deal if you accidentally shoot a cow and you're not you think it's a small bull mm-hmm. so um and that first hunt i didn't do a good enough job of working on identifying not that it's easy but um there was one i could have shot but we weren't 100 percent sure it wasn't as a cow it was a small bull and we didn't shoot so anyway I rem- yeah i remember that story now i remember yeah. you were real close and you were yeah, like, yeah i'm not i'm not feeling yeah. like it's safe to do right so so there is still opportunity to completely diy caribou hunt it's not like easy but it can be done mm-hmm. but that it's getting harder and harder all i'm trying to say is if you want to hunt caribou start now don't wait because mm. who knows where it might be in a few years but anyway sure um 
That being said, I knew I wanted to hunt caribou this year. I called every air transporter I could, all booked for a couple years out. Um, and I found one outfit called I'm not even going to say it, but you can find it. If you looked at my podcast, you can find it. I talk about it. Hmm. Um, but there's an outfit out of uh, um, Crudeau Bay. Um, it's a transporter. Okay. And I, I basically called the guy. And he's like, oh, we're booked, man. And uh, and I was like, okay, what if you take me up on an off day when you don't usually make runs and you drop me off and you don't have to pick me up? I'll float myself out. And they're like, and I kind of had to like talk to him on the phone to like convince him that I could actually do this and not like be calling him up like two days later crying like come pick me up. Yeah. So I like I told him, I kind of convinced him. All right, I've got some Alaska experience. Like I'm not just like completely novice. I think I can do this. We he got comfortable with me. He talked to his partner. Like yeah, okay, we can do. It. We'll take you up on an off day, and but you're on your own after that. And so it sounded like a great idea. It was a great idea in hindsight, but. It also was scary a little bit a couple times. Oh, I bet. Um, yeah. So, and I'll get into that. So, anyway, so I, I get in touch with the alpaca raft people. Shout out to them. If you need a pack raft or anything, alpaca rafts are the way to go. Um, but that was the plan, man. We were going to get dropped off, you know, in the Arctic National Wildlife oh. Refuge and left there. And we had to get out on our own devices and uh, ended up being a 70 river mile float out. It took us Whoa. two whole days just to float out. Um, but epic adventure, man. And, and I like when we got there, I remember, and okay, let me go kind of scary experiences with the pack raft. If you go and watch my bear hunt from this last year, you'll see it. It's on my YouTube channel. If it not, not right now, but it will be in the next week or so. Um, or if you saw it on the Sportsman Channel, I I tried to cross the river on a pack raft. It did not go well. I almost <sighs> went in. So I'm kind of oh, like man. a little shaky on pack rafts already. And um, and then he gets us to this island, and he's like, "All right." And transporters can't tell you what to do. It's like legally they can't because mm. they only transport. So yeah. we get to this island. He's like, "All right." Well, sometimes there's carry over here. Sometimes there's carry over here just hang out here and then pick a side and go there and then just kind of like left and we're like oh my gosh and that's when it hit me like wow we're like back here and he told us this place he dropped us there's probably been a thousand people in there in the last 20 years so we're in the wilderness dude yeah and also a lot of my other western hunts at this point i've been with someone else more experienced Mm -hmm. not so on this one this one was like i was i was the the one with the experience i was the guy like and it was on me this was my plan um i definitely like and it was crazy too because we landed they picked us up and they took us out that day like we didn't normally i have like a day of hanging out in a hotel like get my gear ready kind of mentally preparing no it was like land i'm still jet lagged and they're like getting on the on the transport and so i'm just like kind of freaking out like did i yeah is this like did i bite off more like can chew here and you'll be able to see it come out in the film. Like, I'm very honest. Like, I was kind of a little bit apprehensive. But, you know, I believe God's good, and he had us, and um, and it was going to work out. And so, yeah, so we dropped us off on this island. Our plan going in is we're going to hunt from a base camp and then just grab the pack rafts and then at the end of the hunt and, and float out. But we end up having to – we spent a night there and glassed both sides. We picked a side – 
And then we had to cross this whole river system with like three or four braids mm-hmm. uh, with all our gear to get into position where we could set up a camp and hunt these caribou we'd been glassing. Um, so we were a little, you know, a little apprehensive, a little freaked out, ended up being fine. Um, quick pack raft tip. I don't know if this what anyway, if you're going across the river, you can't just like paddle across it. You have to put mm-hmm. your nose up into the current and like work your way across like, like this, like yeah, with like your nose upstream kind of. sideways. Yeah. Which makes so, you incredibly vulnerable to like rocks or a, a tree limb or something like sticking yeah. up out of the water and flipping you. Right. And you got to like kind of judge, like you got to like find your landing spot and like figure out how far upstream to like go in to kind of be able to hit it. <laughs> like throwing a pass in football, kind of get a lead your receiver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, you know, 30, 20, 30 degree water in you're 70 miles into the wilderness <sighs> in Alaska alone. So it's not like, so a like, lot can go wrong. Yeah, it's shallow, but like, it's still like if you're not a little bit nervous, you're probably not doing something right. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we make it across. It was fine. Um, and uh, we got set up, and we start seeing. We, we were seeing good bulls. Like, even that first night, we were seeing good bulls. And caribou are, um, they're weird. They're very sporadic. You can't really it's not like a deer where you can like see it and pattern it. It's like Hmm. they're migrating, they're moving, they're covering country. So like you can see a bull and then like, you'll never see him again. You could see nothing for three days and then they start moving through. You could see tons of caribou and then it just dries up instantly. Like they're very unpredictable. So when you get an opportunity, you take it pretty much. And sure. um, Yeah. Anyway, we got into a position where we camped and we could, we could walk in to where we were seeing all the bulls they were up kind of in this basin near the, the mountains is just gorgeous man i mean it's oh, beautiful it like sounds right, like it yeah in the brooks range the foot of the mountains in the brooks range and we saw musk ox we saw i saw wolves the first night i had a stalk blown up by um a white wolf chasing the caribou oh off. that is awesome man yeah i mean it was like it was like national geographic like i felt like we were in this like thriving arctic ecosystem mm. um and it was just amazing, man. Um, so we had the wolf's encounter. I saw that other white wolf another day. We saw like giant musk ox at like 40 yards one day. Mm. Seeing big bulls. And at day three, um, we're kind of we're just hunting slowly, hunting our way and glassing into where we've been seeing the bulls. And it's raining. So we're stopping and setting up a tarp and kind of hanging out and glassing for a while and then kind of moving and inching our way in and glassing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we're like, let's get to the top of this little knob over here so we can kind of see more country. And and here's a, a kind of a tip. You know, anytime you're Western hunting, no matter what, if you're about to go over top of something, you never just like walk yeah, up there. Like, right. boop, boop, boop. Yeah, you crest. like, yeah, you press that thing careful and slow. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I was just like creeping up there every like just scan, scan. Yeah. I get towards the top and I see a pair of antlers just tr- all I can see is antlers just kind of like the tops of them <laughs> moving around. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dude, it's on. And um, that was, he was probably like 450 or something. Um, it was two bulls. One was smaller and kind of bedded out in the open. And then I could see the other bull, which is like a, a good, like mature bull. It wasn't like a humongous, like trophy bull, but like a mature, like good bull. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I could see just his antlers moving around. And I was just like, 
Uh, I'm going to just crawl up and get a closer look, but I'm thinking I'm probably just going to take this opportunity. Like he's right here. So yeah, man, that was pretty good. We got the camera set up and I crawled into about 300 and then just kind of waited for him to stand. And, um, the little one kind of got nervous. I think he saw me crawling in the last part mm-hmm. and he stood up and then he started to go again. You can go to my Instagram, the hunter's quest. I did. I have a reel with the whole kill sequence on there. Awesome. Um, and he stands up just beautiful white mane just looks at it and then i just drilled him right in the chest and he went like 30 yards and died that's awesome and, uh, man yeah such a cool hunt man um, i bet you guys freaked out when you saw him drop just yeah it was just especially i mean it was the culmination of a tough logistical hunt but also like years of trying to kill a caribou mm-hmm. and my first hunt being a caribou hunt and um and this and and the coming full circle of like being like the leader on this hunt and like yeah kind of being the one that like planned it that everything you know and mm-hmm. very cool moment very very awesome accomplishment i'm super happy with that thing um can't wait to get him back and uh anyway um so that's kind of the story if you have any like questions about specifics like i'd be happy to well you know i <clears throat> imagine um First of all, that's that's incredible, and congrats on tagging an awesome bull. And Thanks, man. and I gotta imagine, you know, when you plan something that ambitious, like there's levels. I don't, maybe you don't think the same way I do, but when I when I'm in something like that, I have like levels of stressors that I gotta like see through before this is mm-hmm. over. And like it's it, and it's important to be honest about that too because i think that's a factor that gets a lot of people to pack up and head home early when they go on um hunts that are you know out of town you know like especially far out of town you know like in alaska um you know you hear that all the time people leave early people leave early something goes wrong or they and i'm not talking like you know they break a leg or obviously yeah but yeah but like you know they blow up stock the weather isn't what they were needing slash hoping for Mm -hmm. um whatever it is maybe the they're all their public land pieces that they had planned out or they show up and there's a lot of other guys there whatever it is it's a common theme that people when they go especially on western hunts they head home early and i think part of that is is we only think of it as this is going to be a fun vacation and yeah that's not that's not how it is. Like there's a lot of stresses and, and you have to accept those. And if you're going to do a really ambitious trip, like Hunter did, uh, I think it helps to kind of like look at it as a checklist. These are the stressors in the end. Uh, That's the definition of what type two fun, right? You don't even know it's fun while you're having it. It's fun after looking back and reflecting Hunter's got a game bag full of stories now that, that are, man just something to you know if it, if it wasn't a sin to be envious about you know <laughs> but uh it was it, it's it, it, that's yeah part you of it don't you gotta look, you definitely don't want to look at it as a fun vacation i mean like if you want to go on a fun vacation there's nothing wrong with that at all mm-hmm. go on a uh i don't know go on Maybe a, like an a hunt. antelope hunt or something yeah or like go to a ranch or like yeah. whatever i don't know like go to West Texas and like hunt giant bucks over a feeder and like just, yeah. just sit there and shoot one. Like there's nothing wrong with that. I've done it. Right. It's fun. Um, but yeah, it, 
this is different. Like doing, trying to do like a public land, you know, real, real deal Western hunt. It is fun, but it's not going to be like relaxing vacation right. fun. It's going to be a challenge. Um, an antelope hunt can be fun, but even that, if if you're brand new starting out, can be stressful too. I mean, right. Um, so yeah, it's it's a different type of experience, but so much more rewarding. I mean, if my idea of fun was sitting on a beach, you know, <laughs> sipping a drink, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be me. doing what I'm doing right now. But <laughs> that's right. My idea of fun is different. So, um, and yeah, there are times. Even for me, man, like there's a lot of times in these hunts where they suck. Like you don't mm-hmm. want to, I don't want to like wake up in the dark when it's four degrees and like go walk in this. Like, I don't want to, that's, that's not fun. Like, right. but it, it pays off, you know, it's, uh, well, so there are times when it sucks, but, um, I think what we this, might... the whole, sorry, the last thing I'll say on that is like, no, 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 this whole hunt, I have this, this raft, it, it took us like three hours to get up this river to drop us off and we got to cover all that ground you know by our own steam so this whole time i'm kind of like nervous like in the back of my head like you gotta you know and i don't have that much pack raft experience so plus we're gonna try to do it with two caribou bowls and all Mm -hmm. our stuff and we did not pack light either um so anyway we like, kill my bull. You can't really, running. you can't, you know, someone might be judging you on that, but it's hard to pack light when you're 70 miles yeah. in there and, by yourself. Yeah. And we should have packed a little lighter. We were kind of in the mindset of base camp. So I had to like do other things that I probably didn't need. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we, we were comfortable. Um, but anyway, so I killed my bull like two days, two or three days later, we, I filmed my cameraman kill his bull. And then we got to float out. And, uh, that was the same thing. I was like, I was freaked out about it the whole time a little bit, to be honest. But then once we got the things loaded up and, and you can shove all your meat in the pontoons of those rafts they are pretty mm. amazing. Um, and we floated down and it was, it was so cool, man. Plus I'm wearing waders. And so you could literally just step out of the boat if you had to. And I had to like dozens of times cause you kind of run aground. The actual problem is too shallow water. Mm. Um, in the beginning when you're up near the mountains it gets deeper towards the end but and there were some little rapid sections too that were a little creepy mm-hmm. but um, it ended up being fine and, and it was a lot of fun and it was it was very cool very cool yeah was like was there a not, and I've heard this too and this could be a whole pick and bones episode but uh, people talk about the difference between a an Alaskan grizzly threat versus a lower 48 grizzly, you know, where they're being hunted in Alaska and they have seemingly at least anecdotally. So I don't have any experience with either. Um, but, uh, what, what, was there like a real sense that "Mm, we got to be pretty careful here from a grizzly standpoint or were they pretty much out of sight the whole time? Yeah, I've never had an issue with grizzlies in Alaska. We saw them. We saw several um, and saw them in Kodiak when I was there, too. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, They're hunted in Alaska, so if they know you're there, Hmm. for the most part, they're gone. The only time it's really dangerous is when you're, like, walking through really thick willows in, like, a river bottom Mm -hmm. or something, and you, like, surprise them. The only time we were walking through thick stuff like that, we're just, like, Hey bear, hey bear, just kind of yelling, yeah. basically walking through there. Um, but yeah, I've never had an issue with bears in Alaska. I never even really think about it, to be honest. Um, except for when I'm walking through that really thick stuff, and they'll just if they yeah. know you're coming, they're going to be gone. But yeah, 
Um, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's good to know. And then also probably a question everyone's asking. So don't factor in gear, which, I mean, there's a couple pieces of gear there that everyone's probably going to need to take into consideration is waders, and then um, yeah, you know, just probably really good. I'd imagine really good rain gear because you're in the Pacific Northwest, and um, maybe an extra pair of boots or something. I would imagine, but but uh, or at least another pair of footwear so you can dry your boots or something like that. But um, uh, so taking gear out of the picture. Like, what's a reasonable price range somebody should be expecting, including tag and, um, you know, the the flight, you know, the transport yeah. fees and stuff like that? Uh, to be honest with you, man, I probably couldn't give you the greatest number off the top of my head because I just hadn't looked at it in a while. But, uh, yeah, I haven't looked. So I'm going to give you very ballpark answers. Uh, sure. But probably airfare depending on when you book it, it's probably around like 800 bucks or something in there mm-hmm. um the transporter could be anywhere from like i'd say on the lower end around four grand okay like up to eight even sure depending on if you're flying or what or boat boat what you're doing it just mm-hmm. depends and who it is you could find it for less um you don't have to have a transporter though. Like I said, you could just do it DIY. Mm-hmm. Um, the caribou tag, I believe is $650. Okay. Um, and then you're going to spend, you're going to spend a little bit of money getting your meat home. If mm-hmm. you do that, which I would, I did. Um, so is that where you like buy a, or, or not buy you uh, pay for a service where they use like a reefer truck and they, they, uh, you know, pack your meat in it well and then ship it back home? Or is it? I think that's extremely expensive. What I did was um, we were able to, obviously we quartered the meat in the field, mm-hmm. took really good care of it in the field, got it back and got it into a um, a walk-in freezer mm-hmm. overnight at least um, to freeze it as good as possible. Then any Walmart in Alaska has fish boxes because almost everybody comes home from Alaska with at least fish, if not game meat. <laughs> That's true. Um, so literally anywhere you go, any Walmart you go to pretty much will have their cardboard boxes with a styrofoam lining. Hmm. And so you go get as many of those as you need. Then you go to um, a seafood place, like a seafood store outlet store mm-hmm. and you can buy dry ice there's other places you can buy it too but that's the best place we found was like a seafood wholesale type place buy like dry ice um i think you're not supposed to fly with any more than five pounds of it mm. so i'll just leave that there um and then you tape it up wrap it up um the airports in Alaska have cold storage. So like we had a night in Anchorage before we flew out the next day. Mm -hmm. So we were able to um, take our meat there and you pay a little bit and they'll store it in a freezer for you. And you go to the airport, you can pick it back up. And then I just checked it onto my airplane, like baggage and uh, flew home with it. And uh, it was fine. We ate caribou last night. It's freaking amazing, man. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good there's a lot of good little tips in there for people uh transporting stuff home because it does seem like the only option is to 
like the super expensive option. And I know people have done that before, and that's worked yeah. well too. And if you have the, I've money, done it in the great. lower forty-eight, but I've never done it all the way from Alaska. I feel like that would be insanely. Yeah. I feel like that would be insanely expensive, but I don't know. Maybe it's not. No, I think I think you're probably right. You know, it's going to be, you know, there there's going to be uh, three zeros at the end of whatever number is. Oh, uh, oh yeah, is for sure. On there, so. Hundred uh, percent. But no, that's a very you know that's a very attainable you know, price range for someone looking for a great Alaskan experience. Yeah. And, I'll uh, be, I would say if you want to start off in Alaska, maybe look at a Kodiak blacktail hunt. That's mm. a good place to start. Um, you could do a caribou too. Um, but yeah, anyway, either yeah. of those tags are over the counter. Yeah, that's great. That, that saves on a lot of the cost there too, but yeah, yeah. What a, what a cool place to be. And then, uh, of course, um, I guess we'll kind of end this one on your elk hunt story. Uh, okay. That was a beautiful bull. Um, yeah. It look, did you shoot that with a muzzle loader? Yeah, it was a muzzle loader hunt. Oh, man. That is open sight. Muzzle loader is my favorite uh, method of take. I do, okay. a lot, I do a lot of bow hunting for whitetails, but um, I just like the, like the little bit extra efficacy of a muzzle yeah. loader. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a little more confidence there. That's going to yeah. get it done for you, but still yeah. nowhere near hunting with a rifle in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. You still, especially this one. So this is the first year ever that New Mexico went to a no optic law on their muzzle loaders. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's basically like an archery hunt. I mean, you got to be in their bubble, mm-hmm. you know, you got to, I mean, especially for me, I know some guys shoot way too far with muzzle loaders, open sight, even, yeah, you can hit steel at 400 yards with open side muzzleloader, but your velocity is going to be so low by the time I think it's that thing. So I was trying to stay with like 100 yards, 150 max. Hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, you got to be in their bubble. So that was my goal for this year was to kill my first elk. And so I actually had two elk hunts this year. One was a general rifle Montana elk hunt. The other one, which is crazy because it was my first ever elk hunt, but I end up drawing this high demand like amazing new mexico unit that like a lot of people like put in for for 10 years and never get Mm. somehow i got it uh i guess it was god um (laughs) that's awesome man. but yeah i got this amazing i mean it was dude so there was bulls everywhere like big bulls and just they were still bugling like crazy um it was such a good unit that like most people that draws unit, it's like their one chance in life to like shoot a 360 or better. So they'll like hire guides and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I decided, no, I'm going to try to do it myself. Um, fortunately, my videographer was an amazing elk hunter who helped me out a lot, but <laughs> that uh, is helpful. yeah, my, but I just, instead of, and I even thought about inviting like some, like I said, a friend in the industry who's a killer elk hunter or something. But I ended up inviting my cousin, who knows even less about Western hunting than me, because I wanted to just have fun. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, we did it. Uh, another hot tip, um, especially on tags like this, um, if you really want to do it justice, show up two days early and scout. Mm. Um, that's what we did. I got there two full days of scouting in, uh, just exploring the unit, glassing, looking for elk. And we found elk like immediately. Mm. We were able to set up camp. And then you, it plus it's only a five day season. You got five days sure. to get it done. And then it's done. So, uh, and that even speaks to how good the elk hunting is because they only give you five days to get yeah. it done. Yeah. Um, but 
we were able to kind of, you know, relax, not be scrambling, have time to like scout and set up a nice camp. And, and then we got into them, man. And, um, we spent the first four days hunting kind of this almost like breaks country, like rolling hills, desert stuff. And mm-hmm. there was just bulls everywhere and they're just bugling so much. Like I have a lot of experience at several different stocks. You know, I was fumbling a lot in the beginning, but by the end I was starting to get the hang of it. And like the last stock kind of in that area was a really good one. Like we got into 50 yards in this bull, but then the wind switched and just kind of out of my control, they went at us and, and left. Oh. Um, but I was getting closer and closer. And, and after that one, I was like, I was like feeling pretty low, feeling the pressure. Um, some other things have been happening that made it, where I was feeling the pressure even more. And I remember it was the second of the last day and we glassed the night before in our basin. That was like our honey hole, all these elk are in it and Mm -hmm. it kind of dried up. And so I'm already thinking, all right, we're going to go into plan B here. And I just had one of those moments where I woke up like an hour and a half before my alarm went off and I was Mm -hmm. just stressing. It's like, just like freaking out. Like, Oh my gosh, like this amazing tag. I'm not going to kill an elk. Like I'm not going to have an episode. Uh, you know, everyone's gonna think i'm terrible because everyone i talked yeah. to is like dude if you can't kill an elk in there like <laughs> something's wrong with you uh, um and so and like all these other people that i know that are not like super experienced hunters that are hunting the same unit are like sending me pictures of elk they killed and like i haven't killed yet so anyway it's all culminating i'm like you know having hot flashes in my tent like can't yep, sleep yep and so i woke up man woke up made myself a cup of coffee got my bible out and just started my go-to is psalm 37 on mm. hunts it feels like great song um yeah like uh delight yourself in the lord he'll give you the desires of your heart is kind of the the key phrase there on that one and like and just prayed and just gave it to god man and um we went to another spot that morning again didn't work out but i i just i felt better having that time i just felt it was like a reset moment. Mm-hmm. And um, then we went to this new area where it was like 2,000 feet higher. We were in the trees. It was green. It was beautiful. There were some aspens, like pine trees. And I was just like completely at peace. And I just like felt awesome. Like I wasn't worried about it anymore. I was just living in the moment, just enjoying it because of that time I had with God, I think. And mm-hmm. and we're walking up. Still, I I... I let out a bugle didn't hear anything so i kind of was like you know what i'm just enjoying it i wasn't really expecting anything and we we climb up on this ridge and then i kind of look up and i see two cows sort of about 80 yards 70 yards 50 yards maybe kind of meander in front of us and i was like man okay there's some elk here uh and then like out of nowhere we hear a bugle rip like (sighs) in the basin next to us oh dude yeah i'm like it's on and um anyway Long story short, we end up kind of circling around this canyon. And by the time we get around to the other side of it, there's like three different bulls just going off like all around. And I even got the, there were so many, I was like confused. I looked back at my cameraman, Kobe, who, who like I said, he's a great elk hunter. I was like, dude, I don't even know what to do. Like, what do I, what do I do? He's like, there's a bull right in front of you. Go kill it. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> Cause awesome. I was like, there was so many bulls to do. So, anyway, so we started going after him. And, um, and we just, we spotted him and, uh, we're able, he was looking at us and we were able to get down. Um, I hit him with a frontal shot actually. Okay. Um, and at like 80 yards and he went all the way back up on two, two legs. Like I saw a puff of steam come out of his chest and he just hit the dirt. 
And uh, but I had learned, you know, especially with elk, you don't stop shooting until they're dead. Yes. Yeah. So I just start reloading immediately. Again, I know I keep saying it, but go to my Instagram. I have this as a reel. You can watch this. It's some of the coolest elk footage I think there is out there, to be honest. That's awesome. I'm walking up on this thing. He's laying there, just like he looks dead. I step on a twig, and he just somehow just like just like squirms up and gets up and starts running. And I just like, like thank God that I have like a waterfowl like instinctual shooting background, yeah, right? Because I just I just pull up the muzzleloader and bang and just drop him on the run, and That's uh, he hits man. the dirt. Yeah, you can go watch it right now on my Instagram. It's amazing. Um, and then he falls down dead and. Then my cousin was able to come up and help me pack him out, and we we packed it all out in one trip. I think I had a 150 pound pack on that pack out, but it wasn't too bad of a pack out. And uh, yeah, it was incredible, man. Totally incredible. What a season, man! That is yeah. that is that is so cool and such a great great story too. You know, and that pressure and man, we could do a whole pick and bones episode on how to handle that that mind yep. space you know that happens and i think you did the you did the exact right thing you know go and uh seek peace uh where you know that only the peace that passes all understanding can be found and got yeah, in there totally. and got got your head back in the right space and and uh um you know was able to enjoy the hunt and then when when those moments happen at the end of like having our reset it's like double enjoyment, you know, whereas yeah. when you're like all stressed out and nervous and then you get a lucky break or something like that, then it's like just a relief. But there it's just yeah. like, man, I was already having a great day. This yep. has just made it, you know, twice as good, you know, yep. a thousand times as good. But yeah, congrats, man, on just an incredible season. And uh, I'm so glad you got all this stuff on, on footage. And, you know, the, there's, there's something to be said for that too. Like this is a lot of this can just be looked at from a business standpoint. Oh, someone's trying to grow their, their, uh, uh, you know, subscriber list or their, yeah. their, uh, you know, followers or something like that. But it's a, also it's a record, you know, like yeah. that, like your kids are going to be able to go back and look at this footage, your grandkids, how yeah. cool would it be to have, you know, Know, footage man. of our ancestors on some of their adventures they went on, you know, whether it be hunting yeah. or something else. Like even if, you know, I love on the rare occasions I've gotten to watch it. Well, it's probably been less than five times in my life. My grandparents had like an old school, you know, use a reel of film type right. of camera. And uh, I remember one time as a kid where we got out that film and there was not, there wasn't even any sound to it, and we just played videos of life on the farm back in like the yeah, the 50s, it's so cool to watch, you know. And it's like, man, that is, it just helps you appreciate those people so much more. And what you've done now is you've archived all of this footage of some of your most exciting moments, you yeah. know, in your professional life. And I think it's also too. I wanted to throw in here somewhere. I think when we were talking about you know, embracing the type two fun aspect of, of hunting is, uh, you know, I've started to get tired of people referring to hunting as recreation or a hobby. And, yeah. and it's it just, 
the reason I get tired of it is because it doesn't really fit. Like it's not what it is. You know, I'm not, we're not, we're not choosing, you know what? Some people are into waxing their boat. I'm into going out and, you know, sleeping in the rain. Like that's not, it's not the same same as golf. (laughs) No, it's not. It's there. There's, it's something that like we feel a need to do and we feel compelled to be there and to, to be doing these things and experiencing them in the way that we do. Sure. I think there can be certain ways people like maybe casually participate in hunting and 100% nothing wrong with that. Um, it's uncommon to be as obsessed with hunting as what people like yourself and, and I am. That is uncommon. So, but it's, it's much more in line with a lifestyle than it is a, a hobby. And to see you having the success that you are and, and your, your business doing as well as it is. And just the, the people you've been able to talk to would be a great time to promote your podcast as well. You can find people like Donnie Vincent on there. You can find people like Remy Warren. You can find, um, um, Shoot, Jason why? Matzinger, yes. Brian Call, um, Lam- yeah. had Lampers on a while Ka- ago. Uh, Kafaru, I cannot think of his Aaron name. Aaron Snyder, right. Aaron Snyder, yeah, that was one yep. of my. That's one of my favorite podcast episodes I've ever listened to. Period. Oh, nice. And I've been listening to hunting podcasts for what? Yeah, that's uh, my most downloaded years? episode ever, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome, man. And, and then a, he had me on Kafaru right. cast after that, and was like grilling me about Christianity the whole yeah, time. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> awesome. It was yeah. great. You know, and uh, that's something that Hunter likes to work into a show as well as he asks people where they stand uh, spiritually. And and uh, I think that's an awesome part, too. And, use, you know, using hunt, hunting as a platform for ministry is is uh, a very worthy thing to do. So definitely check out Hunter stuff uh, again at the Hunter's Quest on Instagram. Look him up on the Sportsman's channel. Um, My Outdoor TV, great yep. app to have. Uh you know, another guy you can see on there is our good friend, Noel Gandy with uh, Buck Ventures, the woodsman. Um, mm-hmm. You can see his show. You can see Hunter's show. I strongly suggest you getting that subscription. It's very affordable and it just opens the door to a lot of great hunting content, but definitely go yeah. check out Hunter stuff there. And you have YouTube as well, right? Hunter. Yeah, definitely go to almost everything on my YouTube channel now including the podcast and hunt films and like other stuff, how to gear reviews, stuff like that. Awesome. So um, if you guys are listening and you want to like support me, the best thing you can do is honestly just go subscribe to my YouTube channel. Like mm. even if you're not super active on there, all these companies that I'm trying to get to help support me, like one of the first thing they do is go look how many Instagram followers you have and how many subscribers on YouTube you have. So like, mm. If you want to help me out at all and not spend a single dime, just go subscribe to my YouTube and follow me on social, and that will be, like, super helpful. Yeah, so there you go. Definitely check that stuff out, and, um, you know, that's uh, that's how you can help somebody keep living their dream. Um, yeah, man. It may seem – you know, I heard, I heard somebody on uh, another – uh, podcast or YouTube channel or something like that. They're like, you know, a lot of you guys have uh, listened into this, but you've never subscribed or you never, you know, you never liked it or you never, uh, uh, yeah. uh followed or whatever. Please do that. It's free. You know, I'm, I, I like putting this content out there for you, but please help me back by, by doing that. And yeah. that's true. It's for- the least you can do. I mean, like guys like you and me, you know, we put a lot of work into this, like the least people can do, is just like subscribe. I mean, you're not even yep. paying a cent. You're just right. doing like like one 
One little click of your thumb. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And we're like putting hours of stuff in. Like we could be hanging out with our kids right now. We're doing this because we're trying yep. to do this. So like, just subscribe. Yep, yep. That'd be it'd be awesome and super helpful for both of us to do that. So please, please do that if you haven't yet, and leave a favorable review for both podcasts if you feel we're worth it. Please yep. leave us both a five star review. That's super helpful. You can do that on. Uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And uh, then also check out the sponsors of this podcast, First Gen Hunter Podcast. First of all, the presenting sponsor, which is Spartan Forge. Going to have Bill on here soon, uh, him and Johnny Walker together. We're going to talk about uh, their Pennsylvania mountain bucks that they got this fall. Just uh, looked like a lot of fun there. And something I get more and more intrigued with um, is hearing about those uh, crazy Pennsylvania guys, the way they get after it there on the public land. Uh, we had Ryan Glitzy. Ryan Glitzky on of Whitetail Addictions recently, who uh, also does that. So we should be getting some more content from Bill on that. But if you have not yet gotten signed up with Spartan Forge, please do so. Very affordable for a year-long subscription. Um, you can also do a per-month uh, plan. So if you want to just use it during hunting season and maybe shed season, uh, you can do that, but I strongly encourage you to do year long because you can be working on finding better places to hunt year round. And, uh, also, uh, just knowing what the deer are up to throughout the year is great because you have access to the deer behavior prediction and more species coming on that. Hopefully soon we'll have to check in with bill when we get him on, see where that's, where that's at. Then check out East to West hunts, our good friend, Alex Gruen, oftentimes a co-host on this podcast, uh, if you have a hunt dream like Hunter has, if you want to go and try and throw your name in the hat for that incredible New Mexico hunt, or uh, it made me think a lot of Alex's Arizona archery elk hunt that he did a few years ago. It took him eight years to draw that hunt. And uh, I started getting visions of the videos he was sending me while he was there and all the, the bulls running around screaming and, and it just, uh, looked like a ton of fun. If you got a dream like that, you need to talk to Alex because it becomes more attainable when you work with a professional hunt planner. Alex has been there, hunted that he's been all over the place. He's killed muskox all the way up in the Northern tip of Alaska. And he's, uh, like I just said, been down into Arizona. He's been out East hunting. He's been all over the Midwest and of course, all over Colorado, Montana, Idaho, uh, pretty much everywhere in the West. You can see his experiences as well on his YouTube channel. And, uh, also though, go to east to and request that free consultation. So you can see what exactly it is. Alex, can help you with and then finally you shoot something awesome you want it to be memorialized as best as possible you need to go with a great taxidermist and there's no better one out there than old barn taxidermy old barn takes in hundreds of animals if not thousands of animals really every year uh, they do over 500 shoulder whitetail shoulder mounts and that doesn't count all the mountain lions and bear rugs and turkeys and fish and waterfowl that they they do as well. Of course, elk and mule deer. You shoot it, they'll take care of it from there. So get in contact with Old Barn Taxidermy. Tell them that I sent you there. That helps me out and that helps them out. Um, and uh, once again, you won't regret going with professional grade taxidermy work uh, it'll be a memory that you and your kids will want to hang on to forever so again go to old barn taxidermy find that link uh, in the show notes uh, 
Well, thanks so much, Hunter, for uh, joining the show. It's great catching back up with you, man. It'd be awesome to do a hunt together someday. Uh, if, you yeah. ever, uh, if you ever get uh, hankering for uh, a big old Iowa whitetail sometime, give me a holler. And I, I yeah, I might have to chip on that. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. But, uh, man, it'd be good to, good to catch up with you again in a while. And uh, thank you to all the listeners for tuning in. Until next time, take care and take someone hunting.